Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowe and Goody's with me as usual. But Big Jim is away this week. So we've called in England's most capped men's international of all time, Ben Youngs. He's got the inside track on the England World Cup campaign. And we're going to look back at his international career and take a look at the latest premiership action as well. So settle back, enjoy and make sure that you've subscribed on Spotify. How are we lads? Youngsy, Lenny. Great to have you in place of Jim Hamilton. You're a lot better looking. You've probably got bigger arms. Well, you have got bigger arms. You're not quite as tall, but how are you, pal? Good to be back. Thanks for having me back on. Great to have you on, mate. It's nice to be back on again. I'm good. I'm settled back into family life, which has been nice. So the club gave me a week off, uh, took the first week. So all the boys that were at the World Cup had this this week off just gone. Not the Saris lads, though. Not the Saris lads. They love their club and they don't like the thought of going to Newcastle away. Yeah. So they decided to go straight back in. And uh, and do that one. So uh, yeah, good good on them. Tell me now. Obviously, you went back after the bronze game. First of all, congratulations, buddy. Let's let's not skip over that. Thanks, we'll, we'll go into detail of your career and the World Cup and everything you've achieved. But first and foremost, I'm going to say, what a fucking England career! What an absolute legend to come from that spotty little kid <laughs> that was 16 years of age, playing with me at Leicester, coming through that Premiership final, the bag of sick. Baptising people on the bus to be England's most capped men's player and, you know, finally retiring on a high note of beating Argentina and getting the bronze medal. Congratulations, pal. But you were given the week off by Leicester after the game to get back to family life. And Dan McKellar's big about families, isn't he? And yep. how many days did it take to think, I wish I was rather training them with the kids? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was certainly, I was pleased to go back in today. I was, I was excited. I was genuinely excited. To go back into the club and yeah, new new setup and everything like that. So got three kids and to be fair, I think the missus was, was happy for me to go to training as well. Oh, so it works both ways. Yeah, with five months being away, she had such a system with the kids, you know, the routine in the morning, how to get them at school and everything like that. I've just come back and completely You ruined it. Ru- I've ruined it. But uh no, it's lovely to be home, mate. But equally it was very nice to go in the club today and, and then you know, there's been a lot of change at the club. New faces, new coaching staff, so it was an exciting day, actually. I really enjoyed it. It was good. What sort of a dad are you? Do you get the kids out there practicing their spirals off the ground, box kicks already? Like what? How do you spiral it off the ground? I, I don't know. What you want it's about? a halfback thing. Spiral it off the ground? No, like the spiral pass, like oh, getting okay. it, yeah. like That's scooping it out of a rug. Oh, sorry. You've been no. My son, he's just started playing at Mark Harbour. So he plays there on a Sunday, but... My dad always was very laid back about it. He used to just let us go do our thing and not overthink it and just let us enjoy it. And I've got the same approach. So if he takes a shine to it, great. If he doesn't, no issues. So just let it unfold, mate. I'm not one of those that's going to be out there for hours. Mainly because also, I'm so exhausted come the end of training. The last thing I want to do is pick up a ball and kick it around with, with, with my son. And equally, I don't want, to, don't want to get the hockey stick out of my daughter and start whacking balls either. So a bit of wrestling on the sofa is fine. Goody, you kept yourself busy over the weekend away from the family. I did. Just on Saturday, I was up in Sunderland. Massive shout out to Sunderland Rugby Club. I did their 150th anniversary dinner at the weekend on Saturday night and getting back Sunday, I just needed to hug the kids. I needed to tell them I loved them. It was a very <laughs> tough Saturday night. It was a great Saturday night. Actually, it wasn't a tough Saturday night. It was Sunday morning was tough. I think the same guy that dropped me back at the hotel picked me up about three hours later to take me to the airport. So uh, great lads in Sunderland. <laughs> I maybe indulged a little bit too much, but I was a good dad. So I did the dinner Saturday night. And then I was looking at flights to come back and there was a 9.15 flight in the morning back from Newcastle to Heathrow or an 11.30 flight. And being the good dad I am, I got the early one. I could have had a lie-in and then got the 11.30 flight. 
But then it was back home by about quarter to 11, 10 to 11. Just being a family man again. So hung over to hell. We went to fireworks night last night as well. And I was nearly falling asleep watching the fireworks. I was that <laughs> fucked. But yeah, good weekend up in Sunderland. Good people. Good rugby club. They're getting three teams out, which not many junior rugby clubs are doing since COVID. So yeah, I had a really good night up there. I didn't regret it. I regretted drinking as much as I did on Sunday. But here we are with the great England's most capped men's player. Did you get steaming at the weekend? Well, I mean, professionals, do they even drink these days? Yeah, we had a good go, actually, on Sunday after the semi-final as well. We had a good go at it then as well. Nice. Good crack. So, good few blowouts when we were out there. What does a good go look like for an England international side? Like, are you guys having a six-pack of Asahi and then calling it a night? Or are you pushing through to the early hours of the morning? Or? No, pushing through, pushing yes. through, pushing oh, through. Lads. So, some lads, not not myself, but some boys after the bronze game, we uh, got back to the hotel. Because like night kickoff so late. So, the time we get back to the hotel is 1.30. Anyway, some boys went all the way through. Some girls coming out for breakfast and the girls were still going. So good on them. A few hours sleep and then we uh, got the bus in and then we went on a, on a boat in Paris down the river there. So it was a good day, mate. Very fun. It's difficult, isn't it? 30 odd lads plus management all together. It's hard wherever you go in life to find a bar or a venue that will happily let 30 to 40 to probably 50 when you add everyone in. Big blokes. Loose. Was it just in-house in a hotel room or you out and about as well? No, a lot, a lot of the time, beauty is obviously how it is in-house, like a lot of the time, because you come back to hotels to let after games and if you want to have a drink. And also, quite a bit of the time, you know, Alan, who's who's absolutely legend and class, he'll say, like, boys, like, no, one, no one's having a drink, you know, after a game, whatever. Or if there was a certain game, you might go, boys, if you want to go for it, go for it. And then make sure that you do your recovery and get yourself sorted. And do you know what I mean? So it's almost planned. And then in terms of venues and stuff, luckily, we've got Charlotte Gibbons, who's the absolute goat of team managers she's unbelievable so she sorts everything out so it's all done ahead because otherwise you're right you can't get in and then you get splinter groups and you know you kind of everyone goes off in their own place because you can't get in and so we didn't have any of that we were able to stick together as a team and and have a good old social and and enjoy it you know it kind of felt like the end of a season in a way like almost like the end of a summer tour you know when you finish but it had been five months it was such a long time that it did have that feeling so that was good fun so no one met Mark Talera in the strip club. That's what that's where he was when he got caught out. Is that what he got done? For? Yes, it was. Is that what it was? Yes. Are we sure was. about that? I, you're, well, my sources <laughs> tell me so. We'll take it with a pinch of salt. But if that's what your source is, <laughs> true, true. It's a tight knit group, the All Blacks. They don't let much out, but mm. you weren't there. It wasn't me? No, I wasn't in there, Goody. It wasn't me, mate. I wasn't. I wasn't there with him. We'll come back and unpack the World Cup campaign shortly. But there's a question in the run sheet that says, "How's it feel to be the most capped?" men's England international of all time and it's quite like a superficial question but when you actually look at that and look at it in its entirety and think about all the great players that have played for England over the years and all the amazing games and it must be quite overwhelming to process that in your head thinking I'm at the top of that list. Yeah I guess I never see myself as that person like I just see myself as dedicated a huge amount of my career to playing for England and, and had the fortunate opportunity of, of being playing that many times. And I guess, you know, I think when I reflect on it now and maybe during, you know, when the Six Nations starts, maybe that's when I'll probably look at it and go, wow, like that was some achievement and some effort to do all that. I'm aware of how much it's taken out of me and I'm aware that it was definitely the right time for me to call it because I just, someone said to me, it was two things that will give up, either your body or your mind. You know, it depends what comes first. And that, and that was the thing. I'm like, my body feels good, but I didn't have it in me in the head to go do it. So, it's bizarre to think I've done it that many times. It's something I'm really proud of. And I think it's something over time I'll then reflect on and go, yeah, that was a great period of my life and, and time and what an achievement. But 
I kind of look at others in that light, you know, like guys like Courtney Laws and think what a player he is and how many times he did it and stuff like that. And not as many as you. Not as many as me, but he had a shed load of injuries. So, you know, you have a bit of fortune along the way because, you know, luckily I've, I've been pretty fit along the way. Have you got a tattoo yet with 127 on or anything like that? <laughs> no, I haven't, mate. No, no, I haven't. I you haven't. don't strike me as a tattoo man, knowing you. I've not converted to a tattoo man yet. I'm not ruling it out, but I'm certainly not not getting one uh, tomorrow, put it that way. What about signing autographs? Jason Leonard used to do 114, I think. Did he? Yeah. Did he? You got 127, Ben Young's 127? or? I mean, it's not something I've considered, but did he do that, did he? Yeah, get it in there. No, I don't know that. It's just not me. And I'm just not no, sure. it's not, is it? It's not me, mate. But uh, yeah, it's, it's like I say, it's nice. I'm very proud of it. But uh, equally, I was very, I was very pleased to walk away and be done with it, you know? Do you know what? The mental challenge of going to camp... And it's, we, we talked about it on here before. It's very different for different players, right? You kind of know where you are in a pecking order, but there's always that anxiety, that edge around, am I going to get picked? Am I going to be back to the club? People forget the mental side of it all. And that's massive, isn't it, Lenny? It is, mate, it is. And I think that's the bit that, like you say, that, that people probably aren't quite aware of is everything that comes with it. So like you see a snippet on the 80 minutes on a Saturday, which is, is the best part of the job. It is incredible. And that's the, I'll miss it. It is an honour to prove it. The, Playing in front of big crowds, the the game it's the best thing ever. Yeah. But during the whole week, it's it's all the build up, it's the meetings, it's the dealing with that, it's being away, it's everything else. So one thing I'll say is that the longer you've been there and the more experienced you are, is actually the more, I suppose, I felt there was a more this expectation to perform every time because if you didn't, they wanted the next guy in. Yeah. Like you've been there for a long time, they want that next guy in. So I I almost felt towards the end, like it was certainly the last few years, it's like you have to perform so well because they just want change. They want the next, you know, and it will be the same now for a group. There's, you know, there's guys in that team now that, you know, can they make the next World Cup? Maybe, but maybe not. I'm not sure. But there'll come a time where people, public, media, whatever, they'll want change just because they will. It gets exhausting. Imagine being Goody, though, when oh. he plays for England and he plays the absolute game of his life, the best he's ever played, and the whole country still wants someone else to be playing team. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that ever happened, Andy Rowe, that I played the best game of my life in an England shirt, but 127 caps. And there's all these other pretenders that wanted the shirt, but everyone wanted Lenny to play because he was the boy, right? You don't get that many caps by fluke. You know, he's been at the top of his game for England and for Leicester for absolutely... How are you doing it, Lenny? Since that baptism on the bus, I've got no idea, but fair play to you. <laughs> I think it's when we roomed together in Poland on that pre-season Oh, how bad was that? Oh, what happened? What happened? <laughs> nothing, nothing. He was nothing still, he nearly still at school, I think. <laughs> Talk us through it. We were on a pre-season camp in Poland near Krakow, and it was like a Olympic training venue where he did all this cryotherapy, but it was like going back in the dark ages. And we went on some horrible pre-season tours where they were like, let's you know, let's treat them like dogs and they'll train, train really hard and all that stuff. Save the we, budget. Yeah. No one spent any money on all that stuff. And then you hear about Saracens going to Miami and all these other places. Like, Leicester, like, oh, what? I just remember Owen Finnegan, who was an Aussie legend. The big O. Yeah. He'd won the World Cup. He used to just walk around with his top off and he had a body like a bag of sick. And the boy, like, he's a World Cup winner, but he was the worst trainer I've ever seen in my life. Awful. People look at him, and I now think people used to look at me like this, go, how is he ever a professional rugby player? But he's, he was a world champion. And he was one of those players that on the pitch, he was half decent. Monday to Friday, he was like... Horrendous. Awful, yeah. Awful. We roomed together, and he used to walk past our room with just like... You could only do the cryotherapy 
in like either speedos or cycling shorts and then they put something on your ears and some gloves and you're just in it with Holf. We call him Finnerholf after Michael Holford, who was also a hangover <laughs> kit. He makes me look a million dollars. So <laughs> Owen Finnegan was, he came to Leicester and he was a bit of a legend, won a World Cup, but looked like a bag of six. So good man as well. He won't mind me saying yeah, it. Let's dig into the World Cup because that campaign that you guys have just been through started off, well, it started off horrendously, didn't it? You lost to Fiji. Everyone had written you off at that stage. No one's expecting you to get anywhere. And then you managed to get your way through to a bronze medal, which is epic. Talk us through sort of your experience of that camp and, and what unfolded along the way. With the pre-season games, I think if we started them, I think, you know, you can deal with the losses. It was more the performances. That was the bit, you know, with the warm-up games was like, uh, we hadn't actually performed or we hadn't shown or transferred what we'd actually been working on. There's like almost nothing worse than like you work on something for so long and then you go out there and you don't put it out there. So when we played Wales away and then at home and then Ireland away, there wasn't really much like transfer in terms of what we were working on, what we're doing and seeing it on the pitch, which was pretty frustrating because you kind of, you're doing everything you can to pinpoint why. And then we got to Fiji. Was there a why or not? Or is it just... Things aren't because sometimes things don't click, do they? All the preparation in the world, and it's hard to put your finger on stuff. I think that's what we found difficult. It was hard to kind of really put our finger on what aspect of the game weren't working because it felt like at the time it felt like so many parts weren't quite married up and syncing and working together. And then obviously losing to Fiji was kind of it was a bizarre because it was almost like almost as low as it can get. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to Fiji, I really don't. But that's a game that, you know, we would always go in expecting if we perform right, that we win. With England's resources and the amount of players you've got and the money and everything you have. Yeah, exactly right. Don't get me wrong. Some of the best players in the world are Fijian. You know, we all know that. But at home, at Twickenham, head of a World Cup, you know, that is a game that, you you know, we should put away. So we had a couple of days off after that. I think we had sort of three days and we met on the Wednesday and we had a pretty... Well, it was very needed, but we had a good review that was kind of got to, right, we need to sort this out, we need to do that, we need to do that. And then when we flew to France, the whole mindset kind of changed. And what I mean by that is like the boys and it's the players that massively stepped up. So your courts, your forwardies, your, your Genjis, Faz, although we weren't available for the first few games. but Was there like a meeting that they actually pulled everyone together or was it just over time? No, we had, we had, our, we had got our leadership meetings anyway, but on the pitch we were just like, we really grabbed hold of it and like drove, trained and like, pushed it the players did players did yeah really got hold of it and did an unbelievable job really and I kind of think everyone else that hadn't been to World Cup or hadn't like necessarily quite realised the magnitude of a World Cup kind of saw all us go like the intensity training rise the details within it how we're going about it how we're pushing training I think kind of people like wow okay I get it it's like it's showtime almost and it dragged almost the others with us Fair play that, you know, that Argentinian game, 40, given given we had a red card, we kind of had to change how we played a little bit. It almost made the game plan almost a bit simpler for us. But he'd been brilliant those two weeks leading up to it, as had Courts and so many others in terms of their leadership, Jamie George, another one, so Marrow. And I think that first game was was so important for, for both us and Argentina because you lose that first one, you're then kind of going right. Cut fun every week, isn't it? Well, it is good, and then that becomes exhausting in its own right. Yeah. So... Once we won that one, you know, we then had a bit of momentum, beat Japan, and then it kind of went from there. But, I mean, if you look at it as a whole, really, you know, until we met South Africa, you'd always expect us to beat those teams. It's not as if 
we didn't really come across anyone until the semi-final against a team that, you know, that I wouldn't, you know, back ourselves to, to go and win. Yeah. Were the boys getting a feeling of, you know, people are against us here a bit or was it... Just own it, Goody. You see, you were against the team. Well, I did. I said, we the way we were playing, obviously the Argentina game, brilliant in terms of what Lenny just said, the, the way Curry gets sent off, the attitude and the way George Ford played was ridiculously good. You know, against Japan, we ended up scoring a few tries towards the back end of the game, but it was un, a little bit underwhelming. Yeah. Chile was a 70-odd points in the end. We played, tried to move the ball a lot, didn't we, against Chile. And yeah. the mentality of that Samoa game you know you've already qualified. Did it feel like you were fielding a lot of questions around the way you were playing and stuff? Yeah, definitely. I think we're fully aware of the way that we were playing and, and probably the lack of, I suppose, creativity that we had and the amount of opportunities we were creating were, were kind of limited. But I think given the change in coaching and everything like that and the situation of the pre-season results and all that, that maybe we, we kind of had to strip it back a little bit again just to kind of, go back to a, to a game model that will be best suited for trying to win. And I think that we, you know, we kind of, our hand was forced a little bit with that, I reckon. I'll be really interested to see how it looks during the Six Nations and how the team looks on the tour and, and next autumn in terms of how does that evolve? Because the, the way that we play has to evolve. And as a nine that loves playing ball in hand, you know, yes, you have to box kick a lot and the, that's the way the game is at times at international level. You know, across the team, there's exciting players in that back line. But the game plan suited it game to game to just get wins right. Were some of the players a bit frustrated about how the game was set up or is it just this is how we have to play to get to you know the semi-final or a final and gives us our greatest chance of winning? I think there was a there was definitely a collective buy-in and understanding that we we have to play this way because this gives us best opportunity in terms of the time together, in terms of what we have, those players and all that. Like we've got some exceptional talented players we have. You're right, Goody and you know you guys like Marcus Smith. Joe March and like Johnny May, like he got limited opportunities. But what he did do was do an unbelievable job for us in, the, in, in terms of what we needed from him, which yep. was go win the ball back in the air, chase kicks, be really good defensively on that edge and all those bits. So this is what, what I mean. Like I'd be interested to see how it, how it unfolds like moving forward in terms of that evolution of the side and, and in terms of how they play. And obviously Felix Jones is joining, which I think is... Um, you know, by all accounts, I've heard nothing but really, really good things about him. And that's proven in terms of he's gone back to back with the World Cup. But I do think we were just aware that this style suits us best in this tournament. But that style is also a style that I played with for a couple of years at Leicester. You know, it's, it's a very high kicking, pressured game with a dominant forward pack. You know, if you don't have the pack that's dominant, then I think that's where potentially I, at Leicester I found it difficult. If you didn't get front foot and you didn't get dominance at set piece and all that and the reward from kicking and... As I say, it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds because if we don't get dominance moving forward, you know, are we going to evolve our game to be more expansive and move it and, and, and being able to play a different style? And Steve, as a head coach, is a guy that's certainly coached that one way for a long time. Are you confident that Steve's got that ability in him or someone else has within the group to say, look, we've got to change our game? Because it's been this similar way of playing for quite some time, even under Eddie a bit, wasn't it? towards the end yeah I, I, yeah and I think he definitely has because he's now got four years to plan out where he wants to be with it you know where does he want to be in a year where does he want to be in two years what does it you know and you know he's extremely data driven and, and he'll probably be dictated to him a little bit by the data in terms of how he wants to play and when he wants to evolve it but of course he, you know he's a coach that wants to improve wants to get better and, and he's going to bring in Felix Jones so they're going to evolve they're going to get more expansive in the way they want to play and, and be 
really difficult to beat, whether that's wet or in the dry or whatever, and, and be able to play both ways. But that's going to take a bit of time. And that's what, that's what I'm saying. I'd be interested to see, like, you know, when does this evolution happen? Because it will happen. You mentioned the boat cruise after the third place playoff bronze medal game that you won. Was Steve on the boat, like, with his speedos on, tops off, necking <laughs> pints left, right and centre or what? Who <laughs> lads, I can neck a pint! Steve was not on the boat, no. He was not on the oh. boat, no. A lot of the staff were, but no, no, he wasn't, no. You've got to get the balance right between being a, a coach and, a, and where you integrate and when you integrate with players. And, yeah. and when, the, when the boys are on an all-day social, I'm not sure that's the right time for him. Yeah, I could just see Steve <laughs> tops off. To integrate, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah. No, he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't present. You mentioned before about the Springboks being the first real big side that you had to face in the tournament. Do you look back with any regrets or do you still look back and think, God, we overachieved. We did. We did really well here to get what we got. Or is there some sort of itch that hasn't been scratched? Actually, Andy Rose saying, "Was it a fucking penalty at that scrum?" What do you think it was? Do you think it was a pen, Goody, or not? No. Well, Jim said he thought he got it spot on, and I said he's given a penalty because Genji was on his knee, yeah, to start off with, and then bounced back up and reset could have been given. But I, I think I said I like, probably got to agree with him. Then if he's seen knee down. You got to back the ref, haven't you? Do you know what the problem is as well? I think the perception at that point had been that we were massively under the pressure because I think there'd been three pens up to that point. So you know, like I think had there been no pens up to that point and the he goes down, I think he just blows reset. You know, like losing your foot and lads, let's go again. So the Southampton game was, yeah, I, I really thought we with ten minutes to go or whatever it was until RG Snyman scored. I thought we're going to do this. Like we, we're exactly where we need to be. I was already thinking the All Blacks will have won the World Cup here. Oh, We've won the World Cup here. Yeah. Arrogance. But then when, when he scored, you're thinking, right, all the momentum is Africa. We don't want set pieces. And I think tactically up to that point, we'd been brilliant in terms of going to kick to contestable. But we had to change. We should have gone kick it long, stay away from contest. Because as soon as you go contest, it only takes one knock on scrum. Like boot it as long as you can. Let them mark it. That's fine. They can have a scrum pen in their own 22. But as soon as we started going contestable still on the halfway and landing on halfway, I think that was when, you know, tactically the messages were coming on, but we weren't able to adapt. And I think that was the bit that was like, oh, if we just made that little change, maybe, maybe. I'm not saying we would have still done it. You know, they are a phenomenal team. And the, the way they've won, to think the route to, their, to the final and winning it is incredible. So it, it was a tough one to take that one. And Andre Pollard kicks the winner. You're all back in Leicester now. I spoke to him after the game when we played them, but... He's such a good bloke. He, you know, he got left out originally, man. Yeah, yeah. Which you all know, you know. Everyone said, oh, he'll get called up regardless and they were doing it, but he wasn't. He was just until Malcolm Marks got injured then he then he come in, but until that point he wasn't. He wasn't going. Willie Leroux a good bloke or? I don't know. Did you not play him with him at Wasp? I didn't play with him. I interviewed him a fair few times when I was hosting their pre-match, but he's a lovely bloke, Willie Leroux is. I mean, it didn't look good, that celebration. No, I just, we all win games, like nail-biting games by the smallest of margins. But like, I don't, I don't think it's like, that's not necessary, is it? Like, you know, when you purposely make it, you know. You run 50 metres. Yeah, you've, you've thought about that, haven't you? You've run 50 metres to go and scream and push and be like, come on, mate. Like, you won. Like, that shouldn't, shouldn't that be enough? Do you know what I mean? Win and be done with it. Do you know what I mean? No one needs that. Did you have a beer with them afterwards? Like, did it come up? Like, was it made light of with the box afterwards at all? Or was it all pretty hostile? No, no, no one. Uh, I don't think anyone brought it up with him or went and saw him or, or vice versa. So, look, it's one of those in that you, you do it and, you know, who knows? Maybe he'd do it again. Maybe he wouldn't. I don't know. You'd have to ask him. But I went and saw a couple of Jasper and, and Andre after the game in their, in their sheds. But uh, no, I didn't see, I didn't see the room. 
he didn't come into our place. So I don't know. Maybe maybe he's got some maybe he's got some beef that we don't know about with with one of the lads. I'm not sure, but yeah. I reckon it's got a little bit to do with the whole thing around the celebrating. Yeah, he was a wasp player. Saracens boys love a celebration. Ben Earl, ben Earl, loves, ben Earl loves it. Like I saw Ben Earl at the weekend. I didn't, Lenny, did you watch the game? I did. Leicester like. got a scrum penalty, right? And Ben Earl is oh. cheering, and I'm like, he's <laughs> against you, pal. I'm like, oh, amazing. No, such a great bloke, but my god, he gets uh, he gets into it, doesn't he? Like, yeah. you just think, oh, come on. But come not on, when he scores a try. He just gives double thumbs yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> just gives his thumbs up like that. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's more, he's more, yeah, he's more excited about that. I just wonder where, with Villy Larue whether it's down to that Saracens thing, a bit of, you know, he obviously played in the Prem, he got rinsed a few times when he came over here, didn't he? In terms of how he played, it was over the top. But also, how many people have ever been to World Cup semi-final and won it in that manner with all the emotion? How do you know how you're going to react? But he probably looks back on it now and goes, oh shit, I look like a tool. We've seen a lot of close matches in, in yeah. Rugby World Cup. He's the first person that I've ever seen behave like that. Like, what a dick. Running 50 metres, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's one of those, you'll have this perception now and then when you actually meet him, you're like, oh, what a champion of a bloke. He's a really good guy, genuinely. Like, But people change when they get on a rugby field, don't they? Yeah, had we won that game by point, one of our lads might have gone absolutely bonkers. You just don't know, do you? you know, like in those fine margins, winning by point, like, you just don't know. But yeah, it is what it is. It's the Ben Earl analogy though, right? Because Ben Earl is genuinely one of the nicest blokes. He's a funny guy. He just loves everything about life, doesn't he? Like, Yeah. He's like an energizer bunny. If you don't know him and you see him celebrate, you're thinking, what a prick he is. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Because it's not your team. But Vidi's was way over the top. So you should have slotted him. You should have ran on and just slotted him. But I was in the grandstand, <laughs> mate, way over my hand. Thinking, Stop oh, me. Climb down. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me add him. Scrappy do. What happens after that game? Do you guys, obviously got the bronze medal match coming up. What happens after that semi-final game? Do you guys just get on the bears and like cut loose after that game that was the boys were really hurt and and rightly so like you know that was a tough one to take and i think given you know losing to them in 19 as well but like in 19 that you know that was we were beaten comfortably by them you know where this one was almost it almost hurt as, in a weird way as more because it was so close yeah so the boys were beat up and down got back to the hotel had a few drinks and then we woke up the next day and then alan sort of put out the schedule and said look we, we won't start training until Tuesday afternoon and it will just be meetings and a walkthrough so we decided to it'd be a good idea to get to Paris and go find a nice bar and we just sat outside and got on it all afternoon and all day so and all evening were there many fans knocking around there was actually mate we bumped into Georgie Gregan absolute legend so oh, he's a fan he's he just called George Gregan I love it big fan of mine big fan of mine George Gregan <laughs> Yeah, George. Yeah, so he he actually was walking, and then we collared him, and he actually he, he actually had a pint with us. Actually, so good on him. He's a good boy. Yeah, but yeah. There was, a, there was a good few amount of fans actually. We were pretty much parked on the M1 in terms of traffic, in terms of uh, footfall going past us. So we we weren't too inconspicuous, um, and we're having a good drink, and yeah, plenty of people were were kind of very polite, and very nice to us. So we did that, mate, and then we didn't we didn't pick up a rugby ball till Wednesday. Actually trained on Wednesday. Just went through the um, the tactics and the game plan against Argentina Thursday off and then played Friday. So we went in there with one session. It's bizarre, isn't it? Because you kind of, when you look at it, you think come third, like that's still an amazing achievement. But when you look at it realistically, it's like we weren't, in my opinion, the third best team there. Like there was, you know, France were very, very good. Ireland were outstanding. So it was kind of weird feeling with that in terms of like now when I look, you know, look back, you're like, well, okay, 
but you know I'm still not complaining about it it's still nice to finish on that high and, and that group of players and, and also you know the other thing we spoke about is you know Ireland and France right you lose a court final you go home it's a long time till you play again it's a long time to reflect till that group meet up for the Six Nations as disappointed as we are after semi-final, we felt that we were very much like we get to have an opportunity to play one more game, to leave on a high, so that when this group, whoever's in that group and they meet again, they've got some momentum. They've, do you know what I mean? They've been able to, to get another game under their belt after a horrible defeat. And that was important to us. So we, we made hard work of it against Argentina, but we got there in the end and that was important. So when the group meet again, it's good. Whereas it's a long old wait for maybe those other teams that till they get to go again. When you look at the halves that you've got, the number nines coming through a system, we mentioned that there's loads of them. I mean, Danny Kerr hasn't retired yet, but if you're looking at the young guys that are coming through, who are you picking as like the guys to lead us on into the future? In my opinion, the next group that I think will kind of contest for that 9 and 21 shirt will be Mitch. It's going to be JVP. It's going to be Rafi Quirk. Bless him if he can just stay fit and get a run of games. I still think Harry Randall's got a lot to give can be a real impactful player in terms of his busyness, the way he plays the game, speed of ball and everything like that. So I think those four really, and no doubt now to the next World Cup four years, there'll be someone that will come through. You know, there will be from another club as well. So right now I look at those four and I think, you know, they're, they're, they've got some really good talent there that will bat that out. Obviously you announced it was going to be your last game in the bronze medal game. Courtney Law has announced it as well. He, obviously, he didn't play. We've seen Johnny May retire. Is there like a schedule going to come out of other guys? Or was it talked about within the group around what everyone's doing kind of individually? Because looking at it, your mates with Coley. Yeah. Coley's about 423 right now and he's still gearing and he's still gearing well. <laughs> but you know what I mean? There's questions around other players as well. Was it something spoken about internally or not at all? Just individual decisions? I suppose individual decisions. And You know, for me, I was always felt goody like, I felt like this World Cup was achievable for me to make and be a part of, but I always knew that I was done after it. Yeah. Regardless, this was it. So I think Courtney was the same as me. Johnny May was the same as me. Originally, Johnny wasn't in the made the squad and then yeah. got called up didn't he, because of because of Ant Watson's injuries. So all three of us, I know, were very clear that this is when it's ending. And for the other guys, I think they wanted to probably come back, settle in at home, do some club rugby, have a little bit of thought and a bit of time before potentially deciding what they want to do but I'd say that there's three of us that have announced it but the likelihood is I think there'll be more to follow when they feel the time's right to to maybe announce that or or what have you but I, I felt really privileged and lucky to be able to walk away on on my terms you know I don't know what would have happened to Six Nations you know yeah. but I don't need to worry about that now because I, I knew that I was ending then and, and that was it and that was a nice way for me to to finish I think. Six Nations, you'll be available for some corporate appearances with me. Then. Yes, I will be. I will be available for corporate. There you go. Uh, now we're there we go. Is there any chat about the Lions? Obviously, Lions is two years away. And most people would say that you have to play for your country to play for the Lions. There are obviously certain times when that doesn't count. But is that in some of the boys' thought process as well that are on the edge of, can I make four years? Probably not. But there is a Lions tour in two years and that's a carrot that I want. Because then Steve has to make a decision of what's best for the team and the individual or just the individual or just the team, doesn't he? Definitely, mate. And I, and I think there'll definitely be players. I don't know the age profile of all of them. I really don't. But I know that some lads, they're probably, in fact, they could definitely make the Lions in two years, but they may not make it the, the World Cup in four years. And, you know, there'll definitely be desires to play for England, get the Lions tour. And then it's almost, you come back from that, which takes so much out of you. So the older you are, the more it takes out of you anyway. So you go on a Lions tour where you're kind of at an age where like, you know, you're still two years out from a World Cup. 
gone on a massive Lions tour, you have literally three weeks holiday and then you're back in the Prem and the autumn and it all starts again. So, yeah, I think there will be players that are definitely targeting the Lions. I think there'll be players that will go, I, I really want to get to, you know, go to Australia, tour that, and then and then see how I feel after that and see what it is. But like I said to you then, uh, earlier, mate, either you make that call or the coach makes it for you. And it depends which route you want to go down. So now, Ben, when you look back at your career in international test footy, where do you see the biggest highlight? If you could pinpoint a game or a moment that you had, you could have a couple if you want. What was your biggest highlight playing for England? I suppose I've got a couple. One playing alongside my brother yeah. for England. I think that's that's an incredible moment for me in the family. New Zealand semi-final of the World Cup. Yeah. Mainly because that was probably as in sync and a team and performance I've ever had in terms of a group of everyone. It had to be right to beat them. It had to be. But everyone was. like That was a very special performance from a group of players that I was a part of. Just while you're talking on that, how, do you, how does a team get that in sync? Because that's the ultimate goal, isn't yeah. it? It was a world of a performance. It was, Goody. And like, do you know what? That's the hardest thing because if you, <laughs> you'd want that's what you want every week, right? Yeah. But it's just, how do you get that? I guess it's tactically we were brilliant that day but mentally we were exactly where we needed to be like we were on the absolute edge of I don't know what you would call it flow state I don't know whatever whatever it is but it was just like it was a perfect performance and I think that was that for me is one of the the greatest sort of games and moments and sporting team I've been a part of that's the beauty of sport though right if you could bottle that yeah and everyone could produce it every week it wouldn't be fun because there's no jeopardy in it. You know, I go back to that 2019 game and nothing gave me more pleasure than speaking to Andy Rowe on the Monday on the podcast <laughs> being, a, being an arrogant Kiwi. Like, we're mate, just we're dusted gonna, by Ireland by we're, we're gonna blitz you, We're going to blitz you by 30. I'm like, all right, mate, here we are. How are you? But that's why we watch sport, I think. That's what everyone's trying to achieve, yet very rarely does it happen. And to be able to bottle that would have been unbelievable. The, the performance was probably England's greatest ever performance, I'd say. Yeah, well, let's relive it a little bit. Like, let's let's dig into the mental side of it because that's the key, right? The mental side of it, where you got to. Did you have like a mental skills coach? I know Gilbert Anoka works with the All Blacks. Do you guys have someone like that, or was there a process that you you went through in the week leading up to that game to to get that performance? Do you know what? I think one of the one of the biggest things actually is we played New Zealand that autumn. We played them in the autumn 2018, and Courtney charged down Perinara, Underhill picked up, went in and out of Barrett and scored, and it got disallowed, right? And we lost that game. I think we lost by two points or three points. But we came in the sheds after. And to a man, we knew that we had the game plan and we knew we could beat them like we did. Now, we were fully aware and we thought we will meet these guys. If, if the routes go the way that we think the World Cup and the results go the way, we will meet them in the semis. And it was like we just, we knew internally like we could beat them. And I think also the mindset and the way that that week was built up by Eddie in terms of the meetings he took, the way he spoke about how we're going to play and he's he's a brilliant at terms of like building that game plan and then like almost like a salesman like believe in it and your way you go and like we're going to do this and this is how it's going to play out and then we're going to do that he was good a few years ago let's let's clear that up he's fucking shocking now he's Eddie Jones <laughs> how's he selling it to you though in the, in the week leading up you're coming up against the All Blacks who are supposed to hose you things like that like no one no one thinks we can win boys but that's all right we know we can and this is how we're going to do it and this is what we're going to do and they talk about pressure and dealing with that. They can't deal with it. They won't deal with the pressure and put, you know, all these different things. And But funny enough, we actually, we, we trained shocking on the Tuesday, I think it was. Like we were so bad on the Tuesday before that game. And they brought us, like, we had we actually had a leadership group at that point and he gave us a 
he gave us a bit of a hosing actually he told us like we're not where we need to be and blah, blah 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 but it was actually brilliant it was like it was a bit of a stroke of genius again because it just kind of like resharpened it a little bit and yeah we got where we needed to be so that was that for me is the is the, is the greatest greatest performance and then I suppose one other one was 2016 winning the Grand Slam because on the back of 2015 yeah and the I suppose the the absolute wheels falling off in terms of the World Cup and not getting out of our pool and the manner we did and and all that to then kind of be in a post World Cup you know all the coaches going and a bit of disarray he came in and and then actually going to win a Grand Slam that was a really satisfying sort of campaign as well so yeah I suppose they're my three moments I've got an individual moment of watching you play for England that was my favourite the try you scored against Australia at Twickenham because it was a tight game and you flipped the game on its head by quick tap penalty everyone's like fuck wow it was unbelievable and that was for me that was an individual moment you got a favourite individual moment apart from playing with your brother which obviously is you know ridiculously special that no one can even imagine pulling on or not many people yeah. can imagine pulling on an England jersey and stand next to your brother and playing do you know what Goody that moment was a was a real because like beating the Aussies is always great yeah right well, it's easy now but back in the day it was tough right yeah yeah back in the day it was tough and then I think like that that tap and then the dummy and just yeah it was it was a nice bit of play and I guess like in that period I felt like so encouraged to go and express yourself and play and, and go be you and take people on and do all that so that was a nice moment. That and then probably the dummy for a line-out, which was the first try against Aussies, which was that as well. Mate, never complain about beating the Aussies, but that moment, yeah, I agree with you actually, mate. That was probably a, uh, that was definitely a highlight. The euphoria when you score a try at Twickenham must be fucking loose. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I did it once. I did it once. <laughs> against Italy. I mean, New Zealand. I mean, Italy. Yeah. Yeah. But it is there, isn't it? And that's my vision of that try you scored with the tap penalty, with the dummy, like big licks in front of the, the stand and deserve it. You can't ever imagine that feeling unless you've done it, right? And you don't know how you're going to react when you do do it. No, you don't. I remember we played France in 2015. It was the last game of Six Nations. And we won like 42 35, something like that. Do you remember that mad game? Yeah. At Twickenham. Yeah. And I remember that game and I scored in that one. Scored two in that one, actually. And like, one of them I scored and like you say, like I just like kind of lost the plot. Like, I don't even know what was like. The the, the noise and the, to know, like something comes out of you, you just like, yeah, what a place to play rugby, Twickenham. In terms of where, when the place is rocking, it's, it's class. Now, I know you mentioned Eddie Jones and you had a really good relationship with him. He gave you a boatload of caps as well, deservedly so. What's happened to him? The, the poor bloke's gone senile. He hasn't won a game in about six years. Like, leading into that game we spoke about in New Zealand and getting you to where you got to, he was a genius at the time. Yeah. But the wheels have come off. Have you spoke to him? Is he all right? No, I don't know what's, I don't know what's happened there. But, like, obviously, I haven't worked with him. Watching it from the outside, like, I was, I was surprised leaving out Hooper and leaving out Cooper and guys like that, like... I was surprised at that. Like it didn't, it didn't make sense to me. You know, Hooper's been probably one of the best back rowers for the last for years. Really, he's a stand-up player for Australia in a pack that often is probably on the back foot. It was a shame to see like it unfold for him how it has. Was it? I think he's almost become a bit of like every time his face picks up on the big screen, isn't it? Like everyone goes booze. Get yeah, booed. Yeah, it's it's mad really how this is kind of like he's become like a. A bit of a villain, isn't he? Yeah. Within within rugby. But the lads talking about it because ultimately, when he you know he left the role, and we spoke about it when he left. You, know, you had a really good relationship with him, and you know you really enjoyed his coaching, and other people hated the way he treated people, all that stuff. But yeah, you know, you're watching 
maybe some of his press conferences where he's like, what, you don't know anything about rugby, mate. Well, hold on, Eddie, you don't know anything about rugby anymore because it's changed. And look what's happening to you. Are you boys watching that and then having a bit of a chuckle or is it, poor bloke, feel sorry for him or? No, no, some of the stuff we were watching and laughing, like they, the interview before he left was just like, what? Oh, the hands <laughs> on. And it was the, but it was the hat, mate. It was the yeah. hat as well. I was just thinking, why has he put that on? It's an Akubra, mate. Yeah. Yeah, we laughed, like watching him, watching him sort of, um, certainly with that interview before he flew out and he did another one didn't he when he I think they just lost to New Zealand and Dunedin yeah. and he was getting interviewed and he started going mad about someone behind him or something behind Jeff Wilson was he going like crazy about someone doing something behind it yeah so I've always had a laugh about um, certainly in the interview about was it give yourself an uppercut and things like that Yeah. what was he like for you because you mentioned he came in after 2015 and it was a shambles with the coaching situation you guys win the Grand Slam 2016 he must have been had a pretty positive effect on you as a player. Oh, without a doubt. And he had a really... I think you've got to understand as well with Eddie is between 16 to 20, like we had we won a Grand Slam and we won two Six Nations yeah. titles as well. We went to Australia, beat them, summer tour. We had an 18-game streak. Like we had a really good run. But I think we're also he, he had brilliant assistant coaches. So you had Eddie and then you had Steve. You had Gus Garden for a little while before Mitch joined. Scott Wise mental during the attack. So we we were like really blessed with brilliant assistant coaches. Do you know what I mean? And then I suppose his sort of overview of the way he wants to play in the vision, all that, and those guys then doing it. And then actually like towards the end, all those coaches went and did their own thing. Can't imagine why. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, he's a hard, as we all know, he's a hard <laughs> task. And, stuff. and then we didn't replace those guys with, I suppose the same qualities, which then meant he had to do more and, and it kind of then just sadly kind of the results didn't come, the performance didn't come and ultimately as a coach, you know you know what comes next. But yeah, during 16 to 20, those four years genuinely were my most enjoyable four years in an English shirt. They were, without doubt. And the results, the some of the performances, the Grand Slam, tied Six Nations titles, tours, all those bits were quality. They were. So I look at that period, of course, very fondly, as do some other players. And equally, who do some other lads will look at it and, you know, if they only played a few and then didn't get picked and couldn't get back in or they're going to have different views. And I totally respect that. That's absolutely fine. That is, you know, that's, I get it. I get it. My view of, of Eddie is going to be very different to others. Equally, my view of other coaches is going to be very different to others because of potentially how, where you sat within that, that group and all those bits. So they all, they all has an effect. So, But undeniably, they, those four years were unbelievable for England. And we spoke about it at length on the podcast, how great Eddie was. He, the big thing was he made Dylan captain. No one saw Dylan being made captain, did they? Because he was an outcast before and his discipline issues. But that brought out the best in him. So he was a genius. He just stayed in the job too long and now he's looking like he doesn't know anything about rugby, mate. I think he said before he even took the England job, I think he said, I'll do four years and then I'll be done. Yeah. I think he, I remember him always saying, like, I'm a four year I'm, and then I'm done. I'm, I, you know, in Australia, I stayed too long after 2003. And so then when he did stay, you know what I mean? It's almost like he knew. Preempted it. But I think he became so fond of the team, had such success for those four years. I think it was very hard for him to probably walk away. Harder than what he thought it was going to be when he first said that, you know? You know, it's interesting, isn't it? And then when I look at it now and I think, you know, Australia were, really poor you know would there have been any better had he not been there I don't know you know I think there would have been definitely different selections you know but I still think they would have been poor I do under Rene I think so who knows but I think he's probably going to Japan isn't he? <laughs> well he's about to it. announce something isn't he <laughs> hey, all I'm saying is good luck to anyone that's being coached by him now you've got to change Eddie 
Let's take a look at the Premiership then. We spoke earlier about some England nationals coming back and some not. Do you think that this should be a joint-up approach? They should all come back at the same time? or uh, No, not necessarily. Have you heard much about these hybrid contracts, Lenny? I know they're talking about it, mate, but I like... Is it if you're in the, like 25 contracts or something like that? and Something like that, yeah. But, mate, we've heard this before. I yeah. mean, whether it actually gets there, I've got no idea. But they need to do something, Goody, because I think players are going to keep going abroad, mate. Young players are going to go, and it's not going to be good for the England team. And Or they, they make it a 50-cap rule. You go abroad, then you're eligible. Yeah. They need, I, in my opinion, the RFU have to do something. And that's the thing. The R, it's the RFU's responsibility to do it, not the clubs. Yeah. Although it's a good time because the clubs are struggling financially. But d- does there need to be a joined-up approach? No. Because ultimately, the players are employed by their clubs first and foremost, and it's then the privilege of getting picked from, and playing for England and obviously getting paid to play for England. But we've got to remember, it's a 10-team premiership now. So you've only got nine home games. And a lot of the clubs have used the World Cup players to come back to a home game, right? So Sarri's boys at the weekend, and Lenny, you said it earlier, let's see how many of them go to Newcastle away this weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the game that Jim used to get the vice-captain's armband for Saracens. <laughs> All the, all the England boys, Marrow and Cruzo, would be off in Dubai on holiday. Jim, you can be VC this week. You're going up to Newcastle away. And, like, he's got those stories on Faz rollicking him when his back's absolutely fucked because Faz has come back tan looking a million dollars. But yeah, I mean, clubs have the right to pick who they want when they want until they're dictated to a little bit if these hybrid contracts, central contracts go ahead. So yeah, like the Leicester boys, and I think it's brilliant that Dan McKellar said to everyone, because Lenny, you're probably someone that... All due respect, you didn't play that much during the World Cup, did you? Yes, you were away for yeah, a long time. No, so know. you could have come back and gone, fuck, I want to play. But he took a approach of, I'm going to give everyone that off and we're, we're targeting the Quinns week because Leicester play Quinns at home this weekend. The Andy Good suite will be rammed to, to get all the internationals back then because it's a home game. And so Saracens did it. Bath did it with Finn, got him back, home game. Northampton boys, Luds has gone and played for Saints this weekend. And they, they all have to factor in this one week off is it one week off in the first five weeks or something, Lenny? Yeah, one week off in the first five weeks. The other the other thing as well, Goody, is like we very much felt like that was perfect. Come back, have a week at home. And then once you're in, you're always in. Where if you go in for a week, let's say, and then you're off again, and then you come back in again, it's like you're kind of, you're in and you're, and then all oh, you're gone again. And it, so it's, for, for us, it all made sense to have the first week off and then come in. Because once you're in, mate, that's it. Boom, let's go all hands on deck, you know? How has Dan McCullough been for you guys? Because he's sort of come in and, Looks like he's doing a good job so far. We've had a lot of players away. We'll all come back. So I think the Leicester team that you've probably seen the first few rounds is going to look very different as it is this weekend. He's a really good fella. He wants to expand our game. We've got a a team with some habits of playing a certain way, um, which is... Kick and chase. Needs to, which needs to evolve. <laughs> I think we're going to have to, uh, <laughs> needs to evolve. So at times, I should think we kind of look like a team that doesn't quite know what we are yet. But we're very clear about what we want to be. I mean, it does take time. And Dan, I've spoken to Dan a couple of times since he's been over and he's a cracking bloke. And I know Australia, we're keen to try and get him back now. Eddie's gone. But Dan's been clear that he's settled in Leicester. He's happy here and it's a long-term project for him. His kids are at school and all that stuff. But it is hard. You know, ultimately, the Leicester lads have been coached by Steve in that certain way, which was bloody successful. They ended up winning the Premiership. And then last year was difficult, wasn't it, Lenny? You know, Steve, there was one eye on the England job when Eddie's gone and and then the continuity with Wiggy and it was like, we, knew, we know Wiggy's going. It's a really hard position for players to be in because you, you're in the here and now, but also, you know, it's difficult because you know there's a new head coach coming in. So it, Leicester will evolve and they'll, listen, the Premiership's going to be so exciting this year. It's only Newcastle. I don't want to bag my old club, Newcastle, but it's only them that look like they're done how to win a game at the minute. 
and they're open about their budget that they've spent, anyone else of those nine teams look like they could beat anyone. And that's how exciting the Prem is. Not many people gave Leicester a chance to go down to Bath and win because Bath went to Saracens the week before. And yes, Saracens had a weaker team, but Finn's back, the magic man, and Bath go and beat Saracens. But Leicester grafted out a victory in the rain down at the wreck, which, being honest, we haven't done that well down there for the last few years, have you, Lenny? No, we haven't, mate. No, we haven't. No. So you know, everyone can kind of beat everyone except for poor old Newcastle. So the Prem's going to be bloody exciting. You've got to win your home games. And this weekend for Leicester, I can't wait to see Lenny back. I presume he's starting because he said the team's going to look very different. Any comments on that, Lenny? Starting this week? Get me in the mix, mate. I'm ready to go. Get me out there, mate. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't want to see you in the corporate. I don't want to see you in the Andy Goode suite because that means you're not playing. I won't, I won't be in the corporate, mate, until post-game. Mate. Yeah. What do you make of Bath leading Finn Russell go on holiday at this time of the season? Well, it's their prerogative. Let, let's not forget Finn played his last game for Scotland, right? And he's rocked up on the Monday morning to a new club. So the last game was in Paris against Ireland that do or die game and I remember being sat here and Jim was talking it up going this is our greatest chance ever biggest game in the history I yeah. think with the words yeah and they absolutely died yeah and they, yeah. <laughs> Lenny loves it <laughs> and you know Finn's rocked up at Bath on Monday morning doesn't have to do that but obviously this was planned and agreed that he'd have this week off Northampton away and they you know yes Bath could have beaten Northampton but it's about player welfare because they also know that when Finn will play in the Six Nations. They'll get him back in the fallow weeks, even though there's no premiership games, but they've got to manage him throughout a whole year. And so, like everyone else, that was the week they chose to, to give it off. And now they're like, oh, if we'd have had Finn, we'd have won. You don't know that. Finn might have got injured in the first minute. You, you just don't know what would have happened. But that was a decision that Van Graham took and the club took with Finn. And he's had a hell of a week in New York, apparently. So he's happy. A relaxed Finn Russell was a Finn Russell you're going to get the most out of, isn't he? Yeah. Give him holidays. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see him in the Prem. Let's not beat around the bush. He is a world-class talent. He has got the odd error in him, as we know, but he brings a smile to everyone's face if you're a neutral. Bath fans are going to love him, and he's going to be brilliant for viewing figures in the Prem this year. And, and, you know, Lenny, I'm sure you've played against him for Scotland. and Yeah, I think he's a exceptional talent I think I love the way he plays Marcus is kind of plays that way not not the same but in terms of that freedom and the, the ability to move the ball and try kicks and different cross kicks and yeah. distribute take the line on his ability to take the line on and get it out the back door is class so he's a great addition to the Prem he's going to put bums on seats mate and he's going to put people uh, tuning in on the telly so great to see him in the Prem actually Exeter completely dominated the match but didn't really show until later on on the scoreboard did it yeah, I mean, possession-wise and stats-wise, I watched the game, slightly hungover. I was like, kids, shh, have your iPads. Have your iPads. Daddy wants to watch the rugby. <laughs> and we'll go to the fireworks afterwards. All right, all right, and you can have some sweets. Yeah, no problem. But listen, Exeter, I'll be open and honest. At the start of the season, I thought Exeter would struggle this year because of all the players that went out the door, all the experience, all the caps, all the DNA of that club that's been successful. And these young kids have come in especially the home games, have absolutely ripped it up. Yes, the scoreline didn't show a massive victory, but they were in complete control of that game. Physically, you, know, you look at all the, the stats, 72% possession, 80% territory. Yes, there'll be work-ons around finishing stuff off, but and Bristol you know, took their opportunities really well. Crossfield kicks, Richard Lane gets a hat-trick, Callum Sheedy with three unbelievable kicks. If I tried them... A hundred times, I wouldn't get three right, I don't reckon. And he's got three out of three perfect crossfield kicks. So Exeter, Wyatt at fullback was, was brilliant. They'll be frustrated that they made it as hard as it was in terms of the scoreline. But when you look at performance and you talk about 
some of the young players that have come through this year who not many people would have known about because of the Knowles, the Cowan Dickies, the, a lot of the other players that have been in that chief shirt for years. Faye were both on the wing, Tom White fullback. You know, Hoggy's been playing fullback for a long time at Exeter over the last few years. Tom White's come in this year and started carving up, especially at home. And, you know, Hendrickson at 12 hasn't played that much. There's been other guys there. Harvey Skinner at 10. Tom Cairns at 9 as well. These are all young kids, aren't they, Lenny, that you wouldn't have expected what they've produced so far. No, you wouldn't. I, I think what you look at Exeter, I think you can tell they've had a really good pre-season. They're, they're a team that aren't waiting for people to come back. So like Leicester, for instance, like we've had a really good pre-season, but they know... Cavalry's coming. Yeah, and we can only evolve it so much because we've got to wait for everyone to come back to then kick on again. Yeah. And a lot of teams are having to do that, where it's extra a team like, this is how we're going to play, this is what we're about, we've got all pre-season to do it. And they look like a team that's, that's really clear about what they are. And I think for, for Leicester, for, for other clubs that are integrating loads of players back, it almost takes a little bit of time. so It's harder, isn't it? It is, mate, yeah. because they can only do so much pre-season because it's like, well, hang on, like you say, dude, the Cavalry's arriving and then we can kind of kick on again. Yeah. A massive shout-out as well, Russ Tuima, second row. My God, good luck tackling him when you play against Exeter this year, young Z. He is a strong yeah, boy. Mate, he is, isn't he? Yeah. He, looked, he looked all right around close, close range, picking <laughs> yeah. the go and strong old boy. They've always done that. They've almost kept that tradition of big, heavy pack. Yeah. And he's heavy and there's, there's a few heavy bumblers in there. So, Sandy Park. Here we come. So the chat of the bunker hasn't gone away after the World Cup. We're still talking about it in the Premiership. So Steve Hansen's mentioned getting rid of it. Now Nigel Owens has mentioned getting rid of it. Do you guys have any thoughts on keeping it or getting rid? I would get rid of it, I think. Um... Yes! Really? Yes! It's a stain on the game. Oh, Andy, right. Let's hear it from a player's point of view then. I think, again, it's a system where referees I feel should have the ultimate power of making these decisions and when they're a little bit unsure they don't know it's like right I'll yell at you because that's like I know it's bad enough and I'll bunker it because I'm not prepared to kind of make the the big decision and I'm going to leave someone else I just think you have to whether the decision's wrong or right let's say you get it slightly right and you get a red card and it should be downgraded to yellow that can be dealt with after I just think the game needs it needs to be more quicker, less stoppages and all that stuff. And I just think the bunker system is something that oh, I just feel like it's going to intervene, come in the way a bit too much, like things that are obviously need to be dealt with there and then it can be dealt with quickly. And then you have to stop the game to tell it, you know, you get the captains over to say, oh, just to let you know, the bunker's doing this and he's decided to do that. It's like, yeah. I just don't, I'm not a massive fan of it, if I'm honest. My caveat to that then, England, Ireland last year, you're playing. Yeah. Freddie Stewart, Yako Piper gives him a red. It's never a red. Never a red. Never a red. And, and I speak to a lot of referees, as we know, and it's easy for them now. And they all say, oh, I've just got to give you yellow, and that's, it's not my fault, it's not my decision. But the pressure, you flip it, the pressure they're under when they've got a split decision to make or a very quick decision to make, they find it very difficult. So, But that, that one was a shocker, though, wasn't it? It that was a was shocker. A but without the bunker, you get more of those than you do... With the bunker. What do you reckon? Do you know cricket? They obviously have a um, captain's call and they can come and, do you know what I mean, challenge it. As in take away the bunker or take away the TMO and it's down to the captain. Yeah, maybe. Maybe you can go, right, no, you need to just check that. Like, Or for a, for a TMO that's a try given and you go, no, I want that. You need to check that last yeah, pass. Yeah. And you force them to go up there. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's a good shout. And if you get it wrong, you lose it. Yeah. Imagine imagine being the players like, no, he definitely didn't score it. <laughs> and then it check it, skips. <laughs> and then it fuzzes your captain and he goes at you because you got it wrong. Imagine, you don't want to be on the end of that, do you? And it might stop players from 
going down, you know, and, so, and to, to get the TMO to look at it. There is a bit of that as well, isn't there, yeah. Now, Is it simulation? Yeah. There is, mate. And I, they need to, this is this is such a... Players hold their heads all the time, right? They need to be really careful here because I think they, they've got to snap out of the game because there's a very difference between players holding their head going, I've been glanced or caught slightly, but I'm absolutely fine. Yeah. But I'm going to lay here and do this because I need it checked just to try and get something. Yeah. And I think they need to be like, if you lay there for a second or whatever, boom, HIA, off you go, yeah. go checked. Because yeah. if it's that bad, you've got to lay there, final, you know, check it. And then I think you'll stop players doing that. Is that something the boys talk about or not? Or is it, I mean, you obviously see a lot of the rugby and you see people do it. And you know the sort of people that are feigning it, not feigning injury, but just trying to look for it. Players probably get frustrated with probably inconsistency of it. Like the inconsistencies in terms of, you know, Curry's red first game. And then was it Jesse Creel did a hit on the Scottish guy the next day? Not even looked at. And like nothing. Yeah, not even looked at. So the inconsistencies are, are frustrating players. And therefore, I think some lads do it just because they're like, if unless I do it, I don't think they're going to check it. I just think they need to be careful of that, mate. We don't want simulation. And I think refs need to also pen- penalise it, mate. So if someone's laying there like that and you look at it and it's like, there's nothing in that, actually. Yeah. You can have a penalty reverse for being a... There you go. You know what? I'll see you next Tuesday, yeah. <laughs> yeah, then, they, then then you can get penalised for it. But it's like the nines, isn't it? So was it Faf de Klerk that chucked the ball deliberately at someone at, trying to pretend he was passing it to Andre Pollard for a drop goal in the World Cup? Oh, yeah. And yeah. the ref was like, no, 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 you ain't having that. You ain't having that. was against you boys, wasn't it? Was it against England? I'm trying to remember. It might be against something. But again, like, that's just smart reffing, isn't it? Yeah. Like in, in theory, it's a penalty, right? Yeah. But you also know he's only doing it to get a pen. So you're like, nah, you can't have it, mate. You ever done that? You ever chucked a ball at someone because they're offside? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Goes down when someone knocks his head as well. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, Lenny's farming stock. His dad would never allow him to do that. <laughs> or his brother. Right. Let's finish things off then with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, let's. We're going to start off and. I'm going to start off in South Africa. Sorry, Lenny. But I'm going to say it. Razzie gets a mention in the goo this week. I do love Razzie. But he's staying on with South Africa and going back to being head coach. So big news for the South Africans. Obviously, Jacques Nienab is going off to Leinster. So big news for them. Let's go to France. And let's mention two very English boys. Joe Simmons and Dan Robson get a mention in the goo this week with their team, Poe. I mean, Poe. They are top of the top 14. They beat Toulouse 13-9 at home. And they've started the season with a bang. So massive shout out to those boys and the Poe lads. Connacht get a mention the good as well. They edged Ulster 22-20 at home and are three from three in the URC now. Top of the table. Big shout out to those boys. Rich Lane gets a shout out for his hat trick for Bristol against Exeter. Three tries, three kicks, three absolutely brilliant finishes as well. But that doesn't win the good this week because the good is going to be won by Tyrone Green. You talk about good finishes. Marcus Smith off the bench for Quinns. Yes. Crossfield kick. You will not see a better, like a flying Superman finish. That was unbelievable. Tyron Green, he's been out injured for a while and that is one hell of a finish and then celebrates in the corner as well. Diving in midair, catches it midair, gets the ball down. Absolute world of a finish. You'll do well to see a better finish anywhere this season. So uh, Tyron Green, He's going to win the good this week. The bad, few bits of bad. La Rochelle are going to get a mention in the bad this week. They lost away at Oyanax after losing at home to Cass this week. Not a good start from Rog. And even Rog said, I hope they don't change the coach. I think that means when a coach says that, you know he's securing his contract, right? 
we need a change but hopefully it's not the head coach so um, <laughs> Larisol haven't started well but they'll be getting more and more players back as the weeks progress Zebra get uh, mentioned in the bad this week as well they took 50 uh, at home to the Bulls so not a good performance by those boys Sam Costello gets mentioned the bad not for him but for his injuries shoulder and hamstring injuries and then they're looking pretty thin at fly half now Wales they've got to go looking for other 10s oh gas caught a Welsh yeah yeah I'm out of the three-year, what is it, five years? Three-year anyway, window, I play mate. for Wales now. Yeah, there you, there go. you go. That gets mentioned in the bad. And talking about the bad, having the Wales versus Barbars fixture when all the regions are playing and the fact that the Ospreys went and played in London as well against the Sharks. The Welsh, they are so muddled. <laughs> and some people found this funny. I didn't find it funny at all. Dan Bigger has carried Welsh rugby for years. And then he goes to take a conversion for Toulon and his back finally goes from the weight of carrying Welsh rugby for a long time. But poor bloke, eh? Our bad's is back. Poor guy. It was just like, it reminded me of, remember when Jim was playing for Saracens and yeah. he did his back yeah. just before he retired and he's yeah. going ruck to ruck and he, yeah. couldn't, he couldn't bend down. Hilarious. <laughs> That's because he was carrying the A team though on a Monday night, Jim. Um, <laughs> not the starting team, but <laughs> there we go. Jim, we miss you. We don't miss you. But yeah, poor Dan Bigger. That gets to mention the bad. But the bad this week, unfortunately, goes to my Newcastle Falcons team of old. Another old club of mine. Started the Premiership pretty badly. Another defeat, heavy defeat at the hands of Quinns. And unfortunately, they are bottom of the Premiership. So, Newcastle get the bad this week. They have played four, lost four. And then the ugly. One bit of very ugly news this week was Api Ratuni Yurawa, who was on Barbarians duty, got charged with sexual assault against three women in Cardiff last week across two different nights. Appeared in court, charged with sexual assault and all that stuff. So a really ugly look and obviously on Barbar's duty wasn't good for them and he'll be in court pretty soon. So that's why Appy Ratuni Yerwawa gets the ugly this week. Cheers, Goody. And you've got a shout out to finish off with, don't you? I have. Firstly, Sunderland lads, Sunderland RFC, top boys. But secondly, a big shout out to Strabane RFC. They've just had their 100 year gala ball and there's a big push now with a GoFundMe page to secure their own pitch and clubhouse. So if you're involved in the club, get on their social media channels and get behind the campaign on GoFundMe to raise as much money as you can so they can push and get their own pitch and clubhouse sorted. Thanks, Scooty. Thanks, Ben, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure that you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spod. Oh, sounds so much better than Jim doing it. It did sound nice. Spotted pod, 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 pod. Uh-huh.